We have a special request. What drives Shawnee and I to do this podcast and our day jobs is to try and help investors reach their financial goals. Whether you're in retirement or just starting out, we want to hear your story and how Morningstar has helped you build a better financial future for your family. We're filming a short set of testimonial videos that will go through your journey. If you're a Sydney-based Morningstar Premium subscriber and you'd like to take part, the link to the survey is in our episode notes. If we pick you, we'll extend your premium subscription for a year as a thank you for helping out. Thanks and looking forward to hearing from you. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It doesn't take into consideration your personal circumstances, situation, or needs. Okay, so Shani, this is our first episode that we're recording in 2022. It is, yeah. And yeah, we're going to do a portfolio review, but I mean, I guess we have some updates. So do you want to tell people about your time (laughs) off and and what's going on with you? Yeah, I mean, I guess for the first episode that we're recording, this is a bit of a strange one because... I'm not in the office because I have COVID. So <laughs> yes, I've caught the yes. plague. Um, so that's your, you that's your update. You couldn't, yeah, if you couldn't tell from my voice. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was your time off, was getting COVID. Unfortunately, yeah, it was a big bulk of my time off. Um, so I've been inside for a little while now. Uh, we're record- I'm recording this from home. Um, apart from that, I mean, I've watched the cricket and spent some time with my family. That was about it. But Mark, you definitely had a more exciting Christmas than I did. You went overseas. You left the country. I, I know. I know. And I didn't get COVID. But yeah, yeah no, I went to <laughs> I went to Singapore for Christmas and I took a lot of COVID tests. Mm-hmm. So that was exciting. Like a lot of things up my nose, like yeah. sort of like a night out in the eastern suburbs. Right. But <laughs> it was. But you wouldn't yeah, know, it, Mark. I wouldn't know, but no. I've heard. But uh, yeah, no, it was good to travel again. I ate a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I pulled off, we've been talking about this. I pulled off the double at the Gidley, which I've made up. Yeah. I mean, I think you're going to have to explain what that means. Well, we've talked about the burger yeah. before, right? At the yeah. Gidley in Sydney. And Johnny, how good is it? It is incredible. Highly recommend incredible. going to, yeah. 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 So I, I went there for lunch. I was hanging out afterwards and drinking a little wine. And I decided I wanted another burger, but the kitchen was closed. And they told me it reopened at 5.30, so I just stayed, and I had lunch and dinner at the Gidley, two burgers. It was pretty impressive. Okay, so you spent six hours at lunch. Yeah, about about six hours, but, okay. it, was also, but it was also dinner, right? That's true. So, that's true. Yeah, two meals, two yeah. meals, but we should probably get started, right? I think that's a good idea. So uh, today we're doing an annual portfolio checkup, and it's been a year since we did our portfolio construction episode, so... What are your predictions, Mark? Do you think that a lot would have changed in a year? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I think a lot, a lot has happened. So, you know, if we if we look at the U.S., Biden was sworn in last year, so a new president, right? Yeah, so and that's something, right? You know, more importantly, Kim and Kanye announced their separation. But aren't they still living together? It's complicated. Oh. I, the last I heard, he bought a house across the road from her. So. <laughs> okay, well, you 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 stay updated with that. Um, in the investing world, we had GameStop, mm-hmm. so that was twelve months ago. Yeah, and you know the hedge funds haven't collapsed in on each other, and institutional investing is still going strong, and it's down, I think, around seventy five percent from its peak. So, yeah, who would have predicted that? Yeah, I mean, I 
probably me. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I think we did an episode there, predicting but... that, but anyway. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, so let's let's get into this. And, you know, why don't we spend a couple minutes explaining the purpose of this? And we've released a couple replays um, to sort of go through our previous portfolio reviews. Mm-hmm. But, you know, started with that portfolio construction episode. We did a half yearly check-in where we reviewed our portfolios and saw if we were on track to meet our goals. And, you know, we do these episodes because we believe that sometimes it's really hard to translate what you read on paper into action. So especially with investing. So we're using ourselves as examples, um, which hopefully is, uh, is helpful. So um, yeah, we're just going to continue on talk about what has happened with our portfolios since that original episode. And then obviously through the, uh, through the updates, but first, Let's take a step back and let's look at what's happened with markets. So when we did our portfolio checkup at mid-year, so we did it around July, I think closer to the end of July, mm-hmm. the ASX 200 has returned 12.5% year to date. And the MISCI Global Index was up 16.5% in Aussie dollars. And then if we go back and we look at what's happened, as of the 17th of December, the ASX 200 has done 9.7% year-to-date, and the MISCI Global Index has done 20% year-to-date. So we've seen a little bit of a pullback in Aussie shares and a rise in global markets. Yeah, so I think next up, let's uh, maybe just give a little bit of a recap of the goal that we shared for the portfolio construction episode, and we can go from there. So in our first episode, we went through the portfolio construction process, which was four steps. I defined my goal, and in this case, it was for my retirement. I wanted $1.5 million in today's dollars, and I was starting with $50,000. I'm contributing $15,000 a year after tax, and I have 38 years to get there. So retiring when I'm 65 to get to where I want to be. Uh, My required rate of return is 6.9%. Okay. And in our half yearly review, we checked your progress towards your goal. So mm-hmm. where are we now? So I was at 63,600 and my required rate of return has marginally decreased to 6.8%. Okay. So that's where you were. So yes. sorry. Yeah. Where yeah. are we Where are we now? <laughs> I'll ask again. Yeah, you're right. So um, right now I'm at $72,000. Okay. So, you know, unfortunately, just on the surface, that seems pretty good. But mm-hmm. are you on track? Did you make the contributions that you wanted to make this year or last year? Mm-hmm. And did you get your required rate of return? Yeah. So halfway through the year, um, I had made $8,700 in contributions after tax. So that's after that 15% contributions tax is taken out of super. Um, so I was making good progress, but it is fair to call out that I do get my bonus in the first half of the year. So I should be up on my contributions at that point. Um, but when I look at this half of the year, I've made contributions of 8200 But because of that 15% tax in super, that drops down to 6970 But I'm still up on my goal slightly with um, 15670 in contributions for the year. So when I enter my new sum and my goals into our goal calculator, obviously taking into account that I have one less year to get there, uh, it pushes my required rate of return up to 7%. Okay, so I think this is probably an important time to take a step back and just give a little reminder about how we measure our success. And this does become self-evident as you get older and your balance gets higher. But if we simply look at net worth or the dollar amount of your account, it isn't a great gauge because that is being impacted by things outside of your control. And that, of course, is the market returns. So for this year, it looks great because returns have been really strong. 
But as Shawnee pointed out, she needs to focus on hitting her savings goal, which she did this year by exceeding the $15,000 that she wanted to save. Yeah, and I've seen this a lot with some of the people that, you know, I follow on social media that are setting account balance goals for the year. Um, But if the market goes down meaningfully, they have no chance of hitting that goal. Yeah, and that can be discouraging, right? And it causes people to give up. So Mm -hmm. focus on what you can control. And that, of course, is the amount that you save. So having said all of that, let's turn back to you, Shani. Do you think you'll make a change in your portfolio given the different numbers you just walked through? Yeah, no, I won't. It's just not significant enough to uh, change uh, to warrant a change um, or any changes to my asset allocation or my portfolio holdings. Okay, that's good. Um, so, Shani, has anything changed in terms of your goals or your circumstances or your financial position? Yeah, it has. You know, um, as you know, and as everyone knows, because you <laughs> announced it on the podcast, um, I've had a promotion. So, my employer contributions towards my super has increased. Um, so that means I have a choice now, and that choice is whether I continue to pay the same salary sacrifice amounts in addition to my employer contributions and increase my goal, or I can retire earlier or I can redirect those funds to another goal. And in this case, I've decided to keep my salary sacrifice contribution amount and actually add to it, which I like to do with every pay increase. And um, I'd like to keep my retirement age at 65. Okay, so what you're really doing here is you're redefining your goal. Yeah, exactly. It. So um, no one's going to say no to a more comfortable retirement. And ultimately, you can't plan things like wage increases into your goal that aren't a certainty. And the purpose of setting goals is to give you a goalpost to aim for. And these goalposts aren't set in stone. Um, situations and circumstances change and will change quite a few times for a goal that has almost four decades as the time horizon. So I can only plan for what I know and um, what I have at the moment. And so now I have this increase in my wages. I can factor it into my goal and decide whether I want to increase my quality of life in this situation um, or I can redirect the funds to a new goal. So I've decided I'm going to adjust my goal and create a new goalpost for retirement. So I'm going to raise my contributions to 17500 after that 15% tax is taken out of my contributions. And that means that I can raise my goal to $1.6 million in today's dollars. So that's $3.6 million for when I retire, which is up from the original $3.4 million that I had set as my goal. Okay. And what has this done? Like, How has this factored into your required rate of return at all? Yeah, so my required rate of return is 6.9%. So it hasn't really changed, but um, my retirement outcome hopefully has. And I think what this exercise also emphasizes is the difference that investing early can have on your final retirement outcomes. Um, and I know I'm pretty fortunate um, to make this change without any impact to my take-home pay, but th- this change has allowed me to enjoy a pretty significant difference in retirement, a more comfortable retirement. And that's just because of the time that this small change has to compound and build upon uh, while invested in the market. Okay. And you mentioned, of course, compounding. We've talked about Mm -hmm. that a lot. And I think we've, you know, for good reason. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You know, that quote that calls it the eighth wonder of the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, really what this is, just how time allows your investment returns, of course, to compound on each other and to create wealth. Mm-hmm. And we spoke about this briefly in our last check-in, but you know, the two of us are in different situations. You are closer to the beginning of your investing journey, and that means saving is going to drive your outcome more than returns are. Yeah. And this is a concept that we can't really stress enough. When you're young, your biggest advantage that you have is time. 
So when you're looking to reach your goals, focus on the amount that you can actually save, the amount that you can put into the market, take advantage of time doing the hard work for you as you can compound your returns. Um, and that's really just how wealth is built. So when you are further along in your journey, and um, we will go through Mark's portfolio as well, but poor returns can have a devastating uh, impact towards your outcomes um, when you're getting closer and closer to reaching your goals. Okay. So maybe let's go through an example. So, yeah. you know, if, if we go back and we look at what you've done, so you're mm-hmm. increasing your savings by, this is after tax, but by two and a half thousand dollars a year. Yes. And that's resulting in more than $200,000 once you get to your goal, which mm-hmm. I think is pretty amazing. And, yeah. you know, the reason for that is because you have 37 years to go where you get to compound those returns. So well, obviously we'll talk about me in a second, but, you know, I have a shorter timeline as I would like to retire at 60, which is 18 years away. And if I wanted to increase my savings to raise my future outcome by the same amount, by that $200,000, I would have to save close to $6,000 a year. So yeah, that's that's really the difference. So before we talk about me, let's check in. Is anything else happening with your situation or circumstances? Yeah. So um, when we recorded the mid-year check-in, I had dipped into my emergency fund to pay for my university courses. So I've managed to bring that back to square in the last six months. And um, it's obviously important to me to have this financial security. It gives me peace of mind. And I know that I won't be in a position where there are urgent expenses and um, I'll be forced to sell out of um, any equity assets I have or my assets, especially in precarious markets like the one we're experiencing at the moment. So- this process, Shani, it seems a little bit repetitive. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these steps that we've gone through, we also went through in that half-yearly check-in, but that's kind of the whole point, right? So you want to make sure that you have some structure when you're doing reviews of your portfolio. So you want to ensure that your situation hasn't changed. And if it has changed, you want to adjust accordingly. So for example, if your rate of return has changed, you need your required rate of return. You need to make a decision as to whether it justifies an adjustment in your portfolio, an adjustment to your goal. So that could be changing the amount of years or the amount that you're contributing. And you know that determination will depend upon the amount that your required rate of return has changed. And of course, how much longer you have to reach your goal, whether you have the capacity to contribute more. And you do, and while this is repetitive, you're doing this twice a year. So it really isn't that time consuming. Morningstar Premium is designed to help you reach your investing goals. Our coverage spans over 50,000 securities and 2,000 funds and ETFs. Sign up to a four-week free trial through the link in the episode notes to access our global equity best ideas for our top picks across borders. Find shares with sustainable, above-average dividend payouts and the best opportunities at home with five-star Aussie stocks. A Morningstar Premium subscription includes a ShareSide investor plan, allowing you to track all of your investment holdings in one place. And take advantage of ShareSide's investment performance and tax reporting, that has been built specifically for the needs of self-directed investors. If you love premium after your four-week trial and choose to subscribe, your subscription may be tax-deductible if you derive income from the share market. Sign up for a free trial today. So, Mark, I think that's me done. (laughs) I think it's time to move on to your portfolio and your check-in. So let's speak um, a little bit about your goals maybe and get a refresher. Okay, yeah. So I've got two different goals that I'm working for. So the first goal is to supplement my current income by generating passive income 
from my non-retirement investment accounts. And my other goal, of course, is retirement. And that's the one that we went through during that mid-year checkup. So for my retirement accounts, I if we go back and look at you know what's happened, I had an increase in my account balance of a little less than 12%. And that figures in local currency that the account's domiciled in. And that's, of course, because my situation is a little complicated because I have accounts in Australia and accounts in the U.S. So if we look at Aussie dollar increases in my retirement account values, and that's when I translate those U.S. accounts back into Aussie dollars, that 12% actually goes up and it goes a little north of 18%. So increases in account balance are, of course, driven by contributions I've made, but also portfolio returns. And in my case, as we talked about earlier, my increase was primarily driven by investment returns, although you know I obviously still contributed to my accounts. Yeah. So as we said, in contrast to mine, Mark's portfolio balance more than savings, uh, returns will drive the difference in his account balance. So given those weak returns in the last six months we've had um, for domestic equities and the reasonable but not stellar returns we've experienced in global markets... And um, what's happened with your portfolio? I mean, you did mention at the six-month mark, your rate of return had dropped from 6.9% to 6.4% because the market had done quite well for context. So where have we gone since that 6.4%? Yeah, yeah. So as as we said in the beginning, if we look back at the calendar year, a lot of the returns occurred in the first half of the year. So if you go back and you look at my accounts and you look at the local currency changes in value... In my retirement accounts, I'm only up 1.26% during the last six months. However, the Aussie dollar has fallen quite a bit in the last six months, which is a good thing if you have investments outside of Australia. So if you look at the currency-adjusted returns in the last six months, my account value has actually gone up 4.48%. Now, that, if we go back and look at the required rate of return, that actually exceeds it, right? So we said my required rate of return had fallen to 6.4%. Well, 4.48% is more than half of that, right? So in that case, it's actually a good thing. So it is a tiny drop, but a drop in my required rate of return to 6.3%. So, you know, I'll take that. And if we go back and we look at the calendar year, because of those strong market returns, I went from 6.9% required rate of return to 6.3%. And so, yeah, that's good. And I'm not going to make any adjustments. I'm not going to adjust my goal. I'm just going to be happy that uh, that required rate of return dropped because I know at some point it will go up when we have weaker returns. Yeah. And a question that you got on a webinar this week um, that's pretty relevant to this discussion is, what is an achievable required rate of return? And I'm asking that because I think listeners may want to know and because we've both talked about the returns that we need to achieve, 6.9% for me and 6.3% for you. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good question. It was a good question on the webinar. It's a good question now. And, you know, the whole point of going through this goal setting process and calculating the required rate of return is to determine if our goal is actually feasible. So, of course, if the required rate of return is too high, then that's an indication that you need to reassess your goal. It's like coming up with a financial plan where you have to save $45,000 a year and you make $50,000 a year, right? Like, so that is one of the big points of this. So one thing to remember, and I did stress this on the webinar. So one thing to remember is the required rate of return is, of course, after fees and after taxes. And it is something that a lot of investors don't consider. But, you know, those two things can eat up a lot of returns. And the other thing, of course, to consider is the market environment. 
because valuation levels are going to impact future returns. So we've talked about this a lot, but if you're investing at high valuation levels, it is likely that you're going to get lower future returns than if you invest at low valuation levels. And um, at Morningstar, our investment management team estimates future returns for all sorts of different asset classes. And one of the key inputs is the current valuation level. And since current valuations are historically high, those future estimates are lower than what many investors have gotten used to. Yeah, no, exactly. And we do need to remember that we've had above average returns since the GFC. So it is common sense to expect below average returns going forward. And those below average returns could come because of a large market drop, right? Where we're resetting valuation levels, or we could just have, you know, below average returns over several years. So I'm not going to go through every asset class, but the future long term returns estimated by our investment management team for Aussie equities is 7.9% a year. And for global equities, it's 6.75% a year. And of course, that difference reflects the fact that global returns, which are dominated by the U.S., have been higher than Aussie returns. So once again, going back to that GFC, they've been higher overseas, especially higher in the U.S. And of course, that means the valuation levels are higher. And remember that these returns will not actually accrue to you. So that 7.9%, that 6.75%, they'll not all accrue to you as an investor because, of course, you have taxes and fees. So to get back to the original question of what is achievable over the long term, I wouldn't be comfortable going past the low 7% for an aggressive asset allocation like you and I have, Shani. So we both have 90% allocated to growth assets. If you have a more conservative asset allocation, you do need to think lower since bond returns, expected bond returns, are also very low given the interest rate levels. And you mentioned it, so let's talk a little bit about your asset allocation because that was a large theme in our last review. You think that valuations are stretched and you're building cash reserves to take advantage of an inevitable downturn where you'll be able to take advantage of attractive discounts. You've been building up cash for the last few years. Has that changed? Are you continuing with this? I I, I am because, of course, valuation levels have not changed. So I will say a couple different things have actually occurred that have further increased my cash position. So as I've been saying, I've been letting dividends build up and most of the contributions to my accounts are just going into cash. And as you said, Shani, that's to take advantage of future opportunities that I believe will present themselves. But the other thing that's happened, strangely enough, so a number of the companies that I've owned have been purchased in the last year and kind of especially in the last six months. So in Australia, um, I own Coca-Cola Amatel that got bought. Bingo, Ale Properties, looks like Sydney Airport and Link, which I both own, are soon going to join them. And in the US, in my US accounts, I've had a couple spinoffs um, that, uh, that I've actually sold because they made up too small of a position in my portfolio. And yeah, my I will say my cash levels are quite high right now in my retirement accounts. So the beginning of the year, I had around 25% cash, and I'm north of that now. And that, of course, occurred in a year where we actually had strong returns on equities. Yeah. And you know, you did say you were quite comfortable with building up this cash reserve, even though you are still quite a while away from your retirement goal. And you were comfortable doing this because your required rate of return has dropped. Um, but I recall you saying that your target asset allocation is 90% growth and 10% defensive. And You've now more than doubled that in cash. So is there any change? 
Yeah, I mean, like, I do have some reservations about holding this much cash, right? So, and as we've talked about before on here, for a long-term investor that isn't really concerned about volatility, like, cash is just not a good investment. So, as everyone knows, the interest rate that you're getting paid on cash is next to nothing. It is well below inflation, especially now. So, you know, I'm earning a negative real return on a meaningful part of my portfolio. So, it's not really a position I want to be in. And yeah, my required rate of return did drop slightly in the last six months, but that really only happened because of currency movement. So if the Aussie dollar hadn't dropped so much, it would have gone up. But the point is that over the course of the year, it still dropped by almost 60 basis points. And that's even with that cash drag on my portfolio. So let's pause here if you wanted to explain maybe what cash drag is. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, we don't want to use jargon, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it, as you said, right, I, I would like 10% of my portfolio, my long-term asset allocation, 10% of my portfolio in defensive assets, and I've got more than 25%, right, just in cash. And so what I mean by drag is over the course of the year, that portion of my portfolio basically earned nothing. Well, you know, the 75% or so that's invested in shares earned a re- close to a 12% return in local currency and 18% return in Aussie dollars. So if my excess cash had earned that return, I would have more money right now. And, you know, this, of course, is where I need to practice what I preach. The reason I invest is to achieve a goal and not to have as much money as possible. And the reason I do that is not because I don't want more money, because I know that that approach doesn't work. So this year, I could have had a bigger portfolio if I would have gone all in. But of course, that's hindsight. I didn't know what the market was going to do. And nobody knows what the market is going to do. And what I do know is that I exceeded the return I need to achieve my goals by double in local currency and almost triple in Aussie dollars. So I'll take that. And if I'm wrong about the market being overvalued and the S&P 500 continues to return 18% a year forever, I'm going to be just (laughs) fine with 75% of my portfolio on growth assets. And if I'm right and the market drops, then all of the chance to invest when valuation levels are lower and expected future returns are higher than those estimates I talked about earlier. All right. So I think it's time to get to the pointy end of our discussion and that's the actual investments that we're holding. So How are we going about reviewing our investments? Yeah, so we're going to look at our investment policy statement. So another one of those replays we put out was, of course, exploring an investment policy statement or IPS. And what that is, is it's basically just you documenting your approach that you're taking with your portfolio. And this should really be treated as your North Star. So it gives structure to your decision-making process around buying and selling investments. And it's centered around your objective. So Shani, why don't we start with you? Any changes to your investments? Yeah, and it was because my um, super fund was violating a couple of my objectives in my IPS, but um, the main one was fees. So I switched super funds in August because I was on a really, really attractive employer super plan where the fees were negligible and the investment performance was pretty good. And I had faith in the managers, but my membership in that plan expired and um, my fee suddenly went up by about 1%, which violates the part of my IPS where I have called out being extremely conscious about fees for my super. Um, I just couldn't justify being in such an expensive fund. Okay. And, and we obviously speak a lot about you know chopping and changing funds and how it's detrimental to investors. And you know your IPS 
help to differentiate between nervous and irrational behavior, right? And thought out mm -hmm. deliberate behavior. And so, you know, especially now if we're talking about super, we have this new legislation that mandates super funds that underperform. They send letters to their members, which is kind of encouraging them in a way to switch out of funds. So, yeah, just make sure everyone out there that you have a clear and defined investment policy statement. And so if you want to switch out of investment, you're doing it for the right reason, like you did, Shani. Yeah, exactly, Mark. And it's been shown time and time again that switching in and out of investments can have a significant impact on investment outcomes. But in this case, the jump in fees was definitely a justification for switching. So I switched and moved my investments, but I did maintain the same aggressive asset allocation where practically my whole portfolio is invested in growth assets. Um, but what about you, Mark? Any changes to your investments? I know we spoke a little bit about the cash that you were building, but has there been any changes to other investments that you're holding? Yeah, no, honestly, not really. So, you know, the only the only thing I've done, which I referenced earlier is, yeah, I've had some spinoffs I received in the US and I sold out of those basically because they didn't make up a large enough part of my portfolio for them to make any meaningful difference. So, yeah, that's the only thing I've done this year. Yeah. Do you have an example you could give us? I, I I do have an example. Well, so one example is I own uh, I own IBM shares, mm -hmm. and I will say that that hasn't been a great investment for the last decade or so. But I I did buy them a long time ago. I bought them in 1997, and they've done okay over time. I so, was four years old when you bought those shares. Okay, well, we'll just skip <laughs> by that. But anyway, to continue, thank you for that. But to continue the story, um, yeah. So in November of last year, IBM was one of these companies that did a spinoff and they've got this managed infrastructure business and they spun it off in a new publicly traded company named Kindrel. I think I'm pronouncing that right. It's very difficult. And yeah, some consultant must have been paid a lot for that. Do you know what Kindrel <laughs> means, Shani? Is that it's pretty I have dumb no name. idea. Yeah, exactly. In a past but, life it could have been you and you were a consultant. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I did a lot of dumb things as a consultant. But uh <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so this there was a spin-off and it made up one tenth of one percent of my portfolio, right? So that's just like a rounding error. So it would have no impact on my portfolio no matter what happened. So I just sold it. And, you know, those are really the only changes that I've made. So pretty much just full steam ahead and looking for opportunities to invest this cash and invested according to those principles that I outlined in my IPS, which is to find and buy long-term holdings of great companies that are temporarily mispriced due to either market conditions or some company-specific issue. So, yeah, I think, we, I think we've actually done everything, Shani. Have we, have we finished this? I think we've covered it. But yeah, once again, not obviously the most exciting thing in the world, but investing is not supposed to be exciting. It's supposed to help you accomplish your goals. Yeah, we need to think of a way when we do this again. So we'll do this again June 30th. We need to think of a way to spice this up, right? Like okay. maybe we can we can go once you get out of isolation, we can go yeah. hang out in like Whenever pokey rooms. Be. Exactly. Like pokey rooms of like shady pubs and find investing <laughs> tips. Yeah, you I can have know. a punt with Mark and Shani. Yeah, we'll go to the Marley. We were talking about the Marley yesterday. So Is that is that where you hang out, Mark? Yeah, well, don't worry about where I hang out. Yeah. <laughs> I know where you hang out. You hang out in like fancy cocktail bars and pubs in Surrey Hills. Yeah, something like that. But uh, anyway, no good can come of this conversation. So <laughs> we sort of close off this episode. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so that's all we have for our yearly review episode today. We hope that this gives you some insight into how we go about reviewing our portfolios. 
some of the most common feedback that we get that is that this process is quite unpleasant and sometimes anxiety inducing and just something that most people want to avoid. Breaking it down into quarters or half yearly like we've done for this episode will hopefully be a system that makes this process a bit more manageable for people instead of reviewing every few years where it seems like you can't catch up or make a difference to your outcomes when you fall behind. Yeah, and the other important thing is obviously Shawnee and I and everyone at Morningstar are with you every step of the way. So if there's anything you're not sure about or any questions you'd like to ask, just send us an email and it's likely others will have the same questions or concerns too and we can answer it in an episode. So we've done it, our first remote recorded episode, Shawnee. I'm so, quite impressed that I made it this far, Mark. <laughs> no, no, I am too. So, yeah, no. It's, Poor Will uh, will have to w- edit all the coughs and coughs out of this and sneezes. Exactly. And <laughs> but hopefully, hopefully you are done with this soon. So, yeah, poor Shani has obviously been locked in her apartment. I've had to take her dog for walks. Um, it's been so great. I- yeah, I've taken Priscilla out. I I had a little incident with Priscilla where I lost Priscilla's ball. Because um, <laughs> Mark uh, threw was... it, but he's colorblind, so he couldn't see the orange ball in the green grass. <laughs> yeah, it was it was this whole thing. But anyway, um, thank you guys very much. Our first recorded episode of 2022. For the next one, we'll be back in the same room, Shani. But, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm sure everyone out there is wishing you a quick recovery. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.